Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Today's episode is Squilliam Returns. First premiering on March 15th, 2002, this episode was written by Jay Lender, Sam Henderson, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Heather Martinez and Mike Roth. Our storyboard directors are Jay Lender and Sam Henderson. Our animation director is Sean Dempsey, and our creative director is Derek Dryman. Ah, yes, our old buddy Squilliam. Uh, Squidward's childhood bully and antagonist for Squidward. He is the living the life that Squidward dreams of. Every little thing that Squidward could ever want in life, Squilliam is achieving or has achieved. We This is the second episode with Squilliam, hence the name Squilliam Returns. We first saw Squilliam in probably the greatest episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, or or the most popular episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, Band Geeks. He first premiered in that episode, showed up, bragged to Squidward um, about his life, but but helped put Squidward in a position that I, I guess he assumed Squidward would fail at because throughout, uh, even through the ending, he he was still assuming that Squidward would bomb in this moment. He he set him up. For failure, gave him a platform, the greatest platform of Squidward's wildest dreams, thinking he was going to fail. And Squidward ended up pulling out the, I'm guessing, halftime of the century with that performance that ended up being, you know, because of the of the help of SpongeBob and, and the crew of Bikini Bottom. But Squidward got to win in the end and got to, to take one up over Squilliam. We got to see Squidward win, and it's it's the greatest Squidward win of his life. Um, he's going to try to go for another one here. Uh, Squidward, when we open this episode, it's pretty much right at his lunchtime, and we see Squidward literally counting down the seconds until his lunchtime starts. And if you have ever found yourself at a job that was just not for you, but you were pushing through it, you know, obviously to make money, but... You know, those moments where you, you do kind of count down those those last few minutes when it starts coming up either to lunch or even when you get to leave. You know, those those become golden moments. Squidward here, no hesitation. The second that his lunchtime starts, he is uh, running out of there. Uh, the That whole sequence felt a bit surreal because, I yeah, I've, I've been in jobs that just I, I couldn't count down faster until lunch or the, the shift being over, the day being done. Yeah, well, I, and I imagine a lot of people have been there. This is actually a very relatable episode in, in a ton of ways. Th this being one of them, that, that for me was a moment like, hey, I've been there. And uh, when Squidward goes out on his lunch, he runs into Squilliam, who has a, a group of uh, uh, bikini bottomites with him, his entourage, if you will, which if you notice... A lot of these fish that are hanging out with Squilliam are dressed a little bit fancier than we normally see them. Like some fish that normally might not wear a, a shirt and just rock pants are seemingly wearing shirts hanging out with Squilliam. He's a fancier guy, and you got to dress a little bit fancier to hang out with him. Uh, but yeah, we, Squidward runs into Squilliam, and you know, this is the second time at least we've seen these two interact since band geeks 
or the first time since Band Geeks, the second time in total, you'd think at least after the success of that bubble bowl, Squidward would be able to puff his chest up a little bit to Squilliam, you know, in passing. He doesn't have to talk about being on lunch at a restaurant or anything. Just, like, have some confidence, guy. And that's that's what Squidward lacks is is pure confidence. He He has confidence when he's alone, when no one's around. But the second he's put in a situation where he should kind of puff his chest a little bit, and he doesn't, he cowards away. But he ends up, you know, interacting with Squilliam, and uh, Squilliam just knows how to dig into Squidward right away. Like, right off the bat, he knows this guy inside and out and knows how to get to his nerves quicker than any other person that that probably Squidward's going to run into. And obviously the aspect of Squidward's careers coming up and and working in a restaurant and Squilliam just immediately just knows you're a cashier that's probably what you're doing you're you're a loser jockeying a register and Squidward claps back with the idea that he's not a cashier that he is in fact the owner of a five-star restaurant before he does blurt that out though Squidward um, has this moment to himself where he says in his head, you know, when, when he, you know, is about to shut Squilliam down, he thinks to himself, don't lie. Lying always makes it worse. And I can't agree with that more. I mean, that's, that is a common sense to a T. Uh, there's, there's very rare situations in which lying is going to make a situation better in, in, in many Nine times out of ten, it's going to make the situation worse. And what what do you gain in that moment to lie to, to somebody and if they catch you on it? I mean, it just it then brings you down a level that you were already at. You were already at ground zero, and you think you're going above that. And no, by lying, it brings you below because you lied in the first place. So um, the, the fact that Squidward lies that he has a five-star restaurant, it, it's an impulse. He... Tells himself not to, but he still does it anyway. And of course, the second he says that, you know immediately where this is going. Squilliam wants to attend Squidward's five-star restaurant and bring bring all these friends of his over to Squidward's fancy restaurant, and they'll see him tonight. And Squidward, of course, is then realizing, like, I don't have uh, a five-star restaurant, and he's coming tonight, which I'm guessing, like... He's having lunch at noon. Maybe he has four or five hours to get ready for this situation. So he goes to Mr. Krabs and, and pleads his case that he would like to to change the Krusty Krab into a five-star restaurant for this one evening to you know appease Squilliam Fancy Son. Now, at first, Mr. Krabs is completely unemotional to Squidward's situation. Uh, finds no... Um, no care in the situation that Squidward has found himself in, plays the world's smallest violin. And I got to say, as the out of the amount of times I've heard that joke, this was probably the funniest because in, in all seriousness, it is the world's smallest violin. And Mr. Krabs actually not only owns the world's smallest violin, because you got to think about it, to his size and how small that violin is, that yeah, that, that's got to be it. But the fact that he not only owns it, but he can play it perfectly. That's pretty impressive. Um, he he explains to, to Mr. Krabs, you know, everything that needs to happen. But once Mr. Krabs finds out that Squilliam is involved, 
that's when I guess things turn for him and he and he realizes that he should probably help Squidward. Now, that's just a smart business move on Mr. Krabs's end because Squilliam is filthy rich and he brings rich people with him. He's going to fill that place. I mean, the, the man has converted Krabby Patties into a, a pizza before for the sake of money. So, yeah, changing the restaurant to a five-star restaurant for the sake of money, uh, you know, Mr. Krabs is, is A-OK for it. At this moment, Squidward is assembling a crew, a core team, to help rebuild this, this dingy fast-food restaurant into a five-star restaurant in mere hours. And we have Mr. Krabs, we have SpongeBob, and out of nowhere... We have Patrick, who apparently is pleading to join the Corps. Uh, the Marine Corps, I'm guessing, is is with the way he's coming across with the uh, military helmet. But um, once Squidward is very confused immediately with Patrick being there, I think it's, it's funny that he not only shows up with that kind of attitude, like this very military attitude, but the, the fact that even Squidward would be bothered by this. I mean, just, just use his help. He... He, he has to be helpful in some regard, I, I I would imagine. Now, with Patrick, you can write his nonsense in any way, but I would say for the situation at hand, having him help out even just with the conversion of the restaurant would be would be beneficial. Uh, of course, they, they have the classic um, conversation here about what Patrick would actually do at the restaurant. They, uh, they break it down to him collecting hats, uh, in a very uh, dis dignified and sophisticated manner, which to Patrick means uh, to take it like a weenie. Now, Mr. Krabs in this situation is going to apparently help out as the chef of this five-star restaurant because he once served on the SS Gourmet. Now, um, Mr. Krabs apparently did not serve as head chef on the SS Gourmet as Squidward assumed because he was actually just a janitor on the SS Gourmet. When he heads into the kitchen and sees the disaster that Mr. Krabs is producing for an appetizer and just seemingly just cooking a can of peas on the uh, open flame of an oven, uh, Mr. Krabs explains that he was the head chef on the SS Diarrhea, which I apologize for that kind of foul language, um, but there's no way or no way around it. Mr. Krabs said that he worked on the SS Diarrhea, so I, I have to I have to mention that it was the SS Diarrhea. By the way, what a what an extraordinary name for for a ship. I got to tell you, I'm not getting on any ship named SS Diarrhea or anything of that nature. I don't care how good it looks. You could you could find the, the nicest cruise ship on this planet, and if it has diarrhea in letters written on the side, I'm not getting on that ship. Just, <laughs> like, I have seen what happens when ships, like, break down uh, in the middle of the ocean and, and people are, are, like, stuck out there. No thank you. Especially if it has diarrhea written on the side, not happening. And I think I've said it a, enough. Uh, so moving on, SpongeBob in this situation, his job is, of course, to be a, a waiter of this five-star restaurant. But with this book that he was given 
to him by Squidward uh, on how to learn fine dining in 20 minutes, which I, I highly doubt you can read that entire book in 20 minutes. SpongeBob is at max capacity in his knowledge. Now, at this point in the series, SpongeBob, we have seen him exude an extraordinary amount of skills and an extraordinary amount of knowledge in certain subjects like jellyfishing and and games and fry cooking. He is, he is smart in a lot of aspects, but he is apparently at max capacity with this with this dining knowledge. And we get this little look at like a hobo SpongeBob when um, when the book of the knowledge, the dining knowledge is first like lifted from his face. He's exhausted. His eyes are, are bloodshot red and his clothes are tattered. He looks like a he looks like a classic hobo here. Uh, and, and Squidward in this moment does actually a really good job of a pep talk to calm SpongeBob down, you know, calm his anxiety about this. And he and he, you know, tells SpongeBob that he should empty his mind of everything except fine dining and breathing. Those are two things to keep, but to empty your mind of everything else. We zoom into SpongeBob's head and we get a clever visual metaphor used to personify the abstract concept of thought. Which, if that doesn't make any sense and seems like a mouthful, uh, the idea of thinking, like how do you, how do you, you know, show that on a screen? You can't. There's, there's just, we don't, you know, it's all concepts to us. So the concept of little people running around in your brain keeping all of your thoughts on computers and in physical files, it's just there to visually show your mind at work and the, the process of thought. And it's a wonderful trope. I, I, I adore it a ton. Of course, you know, you can't watch a sequence like this without thinking of uh, movies like Inside Out that have even gone further with just the taking the concepts of thought and how do you, how do you, you know, produce characters around that. And, but this, this use is actually extremely funny because we see the inside of SpongeBob's brain looking like an office uh, with all these desks and computers. And you have all of these little mini SpongeBob's running around like the place is about to be on fire and they are getting rid of everything. They are deleting every thought they are shredding every piece of paper, every file. They are only keeping fine di dining and breathing. Everything else has to go. Uh, we, we, you know, this nice sequence is is a highlight of this episode and one that has um, stood the test of time. Honestly, is one of those big SpongeBob moments. Sp SpongeBob now uh, on the outside though is in a almost like a daze. Squidward can't snap him out of it, which is really weird that Squidward can snap in the first place. And as Squilliam is walking up to the restaurant, I, I think anybody, you know, with some common knowledge of, of how this show would run should know that up up against the ropes, you think Squidward is, is down and out. But, you, you know, things, hey, narratively have to swing in an interesting way. And, of course, at the zero hour, while Squidward is trying to stall Squilliam to not come into his disgusting restaurant, SpongeBob had flipped the switch in his mind and the fine dining aspect of Spongebob took over and not only remedied the current situations in the restaurant, but by the time Squilliam and Squidward walk in, it has been transformed into as nice of a fine dining restaurant as you can create out of the Krusty Krab interior in, in 
the matter of seconds. Uh, SpongeBob has taken complete control over the situation, has tied up Mr. Krabs and Patrick uh, into the back of the restaurant, and has taken over the food, has taken over the waiting, uh, everything. Now, this is funny because just like in Band Geeks, both Squidward and Squilliam end up being surprised at the level of effort SpongeBob goes into to help make Squidward look good. Um, Not that Squilliam knows all of that specifically, but us as the viewers, think about this. Both times, both episodes, this episode in Band Geeks, Squidward walks into the situation thinking it's going to be a disaster and that Squilliam is going to dunk on him. And because of the efforts of SpongeBob, initially, I know in Band Geeks, everybody else had their, their part to do, but SpongeBob was the person to get, you know, the momentum going for that and was the lead. Um, but because of the effort of SpongeBob SquarePants, it goes above and beyond even what Squidward would think and blows him away and, of course, blows away Squilliam as well, who, you know, gets sat down to a table along with all of his guests. And SpongeBob completely takes over this situation and shows five-star service at this five-star restaurant, offers a meal, which I, I got to now um, on a serious note, Whoever is in charge of the subtitles on Paramount Plus, I don't know anything beyond uh, this one episode, but whoever can can dive in to make sure that the subtitles of SpongeBob SquarePants are correct, I, I, I will tell you that at least in Squilliam Returns, they are far off. I was trying to get the recipe that SpongeBob was um, going over to Squilliam about, in, in detail, in full, and I was looking at the subtitles while the, the audio was off, and I was like, that's that doesn't seem right. Then I went back and put the audio on and realized that the subtitles were completely skipping over massive aspects of, of the order. So I'm going to read the order in full for you right now, and then uh, I will even read for you the, the Paramount uh, Plus order on the subtitles, which, look... If you need somebody to just watch Nicktoons all day and redo all the subtitles to an OCD level, and and then when I'm done with the Nickelodeon stuff, go beyond that, I'll take that job. I'll work from home for Paramount. I'll do it myself. I'll be the one guy. Like You'll know that all the subtitles on Paramount Plus were done by, by me. I'm, I'm meticulous with that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but the, the order here, instead of obviously having a Krabby Patty, it was a Krabby Newberg. Krabby Newberg, the with the finest cuts of aged imported kelp, stuffed with herbs from from their garden, which uh, is funny because SpongeBob's garden uh, was mentioned in the sister episode to this. No weenies allowed, uh, and then of course there's also Patrick mentioning you know being a weenie and whatnot. There there's a few similarities between the two episodes here. You can you can tell that they were definitely written together as a as a pair uh so we have uh imported uh kelp stuffed with the herbs from the garden wrapped in parchment which for those that don't know is is paper essentially wrapped in parchment with uh their award-winning shallot tapenade which i mean let's just think about that for a second Uh, (laughs) who's award-winning shallot tapenade and is just spongebob embellishing this I have no idea, uh, but this is then roasted 
for six hours in their wood-fired clay-filled oven, or kiva, and served with a garnish of wilted coral on a mahogany plank. The the crabby Newberg, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, the, the fact that it took six hours to make this means, like, if you're looking at this verbatim and SpongeBob is not a liar, it means that he's just making fancier food in the kitchen of the Krusty Krab and I guess keeping it for a rainy day. Um, cause I don't think he's lying. I mean, he's, he's a magical creature. Look what he was able to, to do with the interior of the Krusty Krab and in, in a matter of seconds, but, uh, let's go, uh, over the, uh, order as the subtitles has, um, let's see. Cause all right. For our menu tonight, might I recommend the Krabby Newberg? We take the finest cuts of age-imported kelp, stuff them with herbs from our garden, wrap them in parchment with our shallot tapenade, roast them for hours in our wood-fired oven, and serve them with wilted coral on a mahogany plank. That's it. They missed out a a bit of information there, and these are the subtitles. So I, I just, I, that, I, what made me feel terrible is think of like somebody's deaf out there, and they they are relying on those subtitles to be able to enjoy the the episode beyond the beautiful animation, and you know those those are crucial jokes. I mean, there's some words in there that are that are incredibly funny, and there's some verbiage like award winning that when you take that out, I don't know, it just it. The language doesn't flow as well. I don't know. Give me that job. I want that job. Um, so SpongeBob goes above and beyond specifically for Squilliam to, to show him off. There's several of SpongeBob's hands coming out of frame, massaging Squilliam, um, cleaning his head, feeding him, putting a, a bib around his neck, essentially a napkin. It, this is just the, the best kind of service you can ask for. And Squilliam is just amazed at the the service he is getting and of course once squidward comes over to to gloat you know do his strut he he has to have his victory lap in front of squilliam squilliam breaks down that this is an absolutely incredible restaurant it's an incredible experience and and he apologizes to squidward for the treatment he he's been giving him and and squidward of course gets gets to gloat in this moment and Squilliam at this point wants to to really thank SpongeBob. It's because of this this young man for the night that he received. And he has but one question for this young man, and that is what is it, what is your name? Now we go back into SpongeBob's mind to comedically show that because of all of the deleting they did of of SpongeBob's thoughts other than fine dining and breathing, they have simply lost the information on SpongeBob's name. Doesn't know his name is SpongeBob. He lost that. Now, I would argue that a part of the fine dining experience would be to be able to introduce yourself, or if a, a waiter or customer asks for your name, you can you can tell them. But uh, apparently, in SpongeBob's thought of whatever fine dining is, that the name is not important. It, we uh, comedically now get SpongeBob frying out on the fact that he can't find the information of his name in, in his brain and immediately goes haywire. At this moment that he starts throwing food and destroying the restaurant as his mind is just exploding, 
Mr. Krabs and Patrick, who were once tied up in the back, are hobbling their way to the front as they are being chased by none other than the appetizer. Uh, Mr. Krabs's deformed mess of a meal has um, evolved into a monster, a one-eyed monster, which happens to also have a, a human-looking foot coming out of it, which looked like Gordon from Rocco's Modern Life, if you've ever watched Rocco, uh, Gordon the Foot is is a character who shows up once in a while. I, I I hope that was a homage to Gordon, as as a bunch of the crew who worked on SpongeBob also worked on Rocco's Modern Life. But yeah, the appetizer, this massive monster, explodes out of the kitchen at the same time that SpongeBob is having his meltdown, and everything is falling apart around Squidward. As it is finally time to fess up. He is not an owner of a five-star restaurant. He is, in fact, a cashier at a fast-food restaurant and that all of these other people work at that fast-food restaurant and that he's a failure and a fraud and he's a loser. Now, Squilliam comes clean to Squidward as well in this moment that he isn't really, in fact, that rich and he doesn't have a yacht and that he is is not as as... Um, successful as he comes off and he is also a cashier at a restaurant as well and he is also a loser now squidward completely amazed by this is for a second you know relieved in the moment before squilliam exclaims that he was in fact uh, fibbing and that of course he is filthy rich and successful and uh, laughs at squidward's face while him and his entourage leave the restaurant leave the place in tatters as Mr. Krabs once again comes in with the world's smallest violin for, for one last song as we cut to black. And, and that is Squilliam Returns. I think it is a wonderful return episode for Squilliam. I think he's a great antagonist for Squidward. It makes Squidward relatable for some of us who, who may feel that uh, we watch others become more successful. And, and it's, it's jealousy is a, um, is a rough tool. But you have to use that as motivation. You have to. If you see somebody else and you start feeling jealous, you have to not feel envious and jealous. You have to just say, I want to be there. And you got to take that feeling and you got to put that in the pit of your stomach and you got to let that be the energy for what you're making or what you're producing. Because at the end of the day, one person's success has no bearing on your success. And the, the path that they've carved out for themselves may be unique, may be one of a kind, but that doesn't mean that yours can't also be unique and one of a kind. So that's, I mean, that's some philosophy for, for you from the Squarecast here. Uh, but yeah, you, you don't have to, to feel like Squidward in this situation, have to lie about your life. You know, be proud of, of those moments that you've created. Be proud of what you help bring to society and uh i you know squidward should appreciate himself a little bit more and, and like i said if he would have had the confidence in the beginning of, of especially the success from band geeks i i think he would have been able to handle the squilliam situation in a better light but of course because he doesn't have that confidence and still even after that success was unable to have that confidence it, it just puts him down a a path that he ends up always regretting and that's what's nice about this situation is hey the first time we were introduced to squilliam we were also given squidward's like big moment big comeuppance against him this time though 
I don't think it was going to go the same way. I don't think that success, that comeuppings was just going to be handed to Squidward on a silver platter like it was in Band Geeks. Although, hey, Squidward worked hard towards it. But in the end, the success that happened at the Bubble Bowl was was because of SpongeBob and the and the Bikini Bottom gang. They could have easily walked away from that situation and not helped Squidward, but they did. They came together and they put on a good performance. This time around, for as much as they tried, I I think it was the right outcome for the situation to blow up in Squidward's face to show the viewers, hey, if, if you're gonna lie, this is how a lie can blow up in your face, and that just like the the sentiment that Squidward said, it always makes it worse. Remember that if you find yourself in this kind of situation. Just remember that. And with that, that is the end of this episode of the Squarecast. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. My name is Captain Eric. Thank you for being a part of my week, as you are a part of mine. And and for the supporters out there of this show, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. The, there are just the words to describe how I feel. There, They don't exist. I could spend the next three hours talking about it, and it would not get me anywhere closer to, to how how the feeling is, but, um, it is, it is beyond appreciated. Uh, I love each and every one of you out there. Thank you for being a part of the ready crew. If there's any way that you can support this show by any means necessary, and that does not mean monetarily, ladies and gentlemen, that I appreciate on, a, on another level, but if you can share this show around or any of the other content I create to people who might be like-minded to other groups on Facebook, any of that is 100% always appreciated. Uh, I hope all of you stay safe out there, and we will see you next week on an episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Nizes, uh, a big hulking fish with these massive arms, sporting a new tattoo that Reg points out, a tattoo that the man can actually uh, make the tattoo dance as he flexes his arm back and forth. Of course, this man's arm is the inspiration for the season three YouTube screen uh, as these episodes play. Um, now, this is very late in the episode, but I imagine if you're on YouTube and you're listening this far in, if you if you like the art, I, I definitely would like to know. Um, uh, or if you have any other ideas as, as far as what you would like on the screen uh, in YouTube, that would that would be something you can bring up because I, as far as the, like the audio, other than eventually bringing this into video form, which I maybe down the road this week, a Nickelodeon history has a better chance of coming out with a video version first before the square cast does. There's just a lot more editing that goes into this and a, a little bit more meticulous than, um, I, I would want as a video, but who knows? We'll, 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 we'll consider that down the road. But anyway, yeah, we have this, this tattoo guy here is able to make his tattoo dance. Reg points out another tattoo on his other arm that this man seemingly forgot he got, which is a tattoo of my favorite cartoon character, SpongeBob SquarePants. What a guy. Although it's it's SpongeBob pretending to be a tattoo in this guy's arm. And uh, when the guy has to flex, you know, Reg you know, responds like, what does it do when, when you flex on that arm? And he flexes a bit. SpongeBob has to improvise a little bit of a dance. And, and Reg immediately knows what's going on, rips SpongeBob off of the guy's arm, which really confuses the guy because I, he must have really thought there was a tattoo there for a second. Um, but yeah, SpongeBob gets ripped off of the arm and is once again told he is not let into the, the salty spittoon. And now yet again, we, we are introduced to a few other characters trying to get into this restaurant, two of which who, who start a fight 
in line. Um, and there's a, a bit here that I actually used um, as a as an adolescent teen. But in, in part of this argument, when the guy responds with, uh, you know, are you calling me a liar? And the response to that from the other fish is, I, I ain't calling you for dinner. And, uh, yeah, I actually used that a few times. If anybody had ever said that for a few years, if anyone ever said, I'm, are you calling me a liar? My immediate response for the joke would be, I ain't calling you for dinner. Uh, I can only remember one person where that ever worked on, where they got the joke and they were like, oh, that's funny. Diffuse the situation immediately. Everyone else no, <laughs> did not get that joke. And at this point in history, I can't even recommend that as a as a good response, because this is as, as iconic as this episode is. People in that moment may not remember it. And the explanation is not worth it. So I can't recommend using that in an actual argument here. But. These two get in a fight in which SpongeBob gets dragged alongside of. Um, Reg defuses the fight immediately by stopping it and letting the guys both go in that they prove their toughness. And, and both men seem like tickled by this. They're like willing to just drop everything. Hey, they're allowed to go into the bar. Everything's good. SpongeBob claims that he was also a part of that fight, although he was just kind of dragged into it, clearly beat up, was trying to run away from it, was, was not fighting or physically involved in that fight. At all, Reg knows this and, and still declines SpongeBob entry into this establishment. But now SpongeBob has a goal in mind, and his goal is getting into a fight with somebody in front of Reg, because I guess if you get on a fight, you're tough enough to get into the salty spittoon. Uh, he goes to snap his uh, his knuckles, crack his knuckles. Not snap. I mean, he does snap his fingers. <laughs> that's that's the confusion there. He goes to crack his knuckles, and in turn snaps all of his fingers off, which prompts him to cry away a, uh, a you know, reasonable response to that kind of injury. Uh, but we find him back at the uh, Weenie Hut Juniors with his hands inside of a bowl of ice cream. And we get this bit in which SpongeBob claims that his, his friends do not dine at this establishment of Weenie Hut Juniors. And we get the reveal that, in fact, Patrick is not only at the restaurant right there next to SpongeBob, but is in fact a consistent patron of Weenie Hut Juniors. Uh, he knows all of their big like promotion days, Mega Weenie Mondays, which has been moved to Wednesdays. I think I have a list of the promotions here. These are all absolutely. So we got Mega Weenie Monday, Monster Weenie Monday, Double Weenie Friday, which was formerly Double Weenie Wednesday, and uh, Super Weenie Sunday. They have all these like promotional days for their hot dogs. That's that's pretty funny. Uh, I I love that now Patrick gets involved with the situation. He is the perfect character to bring into this episode at this moment because Patrick is a tough character. He could easily get into the salty spittoon if he wanted to, but he wants to help his friend here. And uh, there's a an idea that is brought up that they should fake a fight in front of the salty spittoon because if Reg sees them fighting, it'll gain SpongeBob entry into this into this bar. They agree that this is a great idea, uh, but in I don't know if, if SpongeBob really clued in Patrick as to what this would entail because as they're in front of Reg, in front of the salty spittoon, trying to start a fight, um, uh, SpongeBob starts hurling insults at Patrick to get this fight started. And I, I don't think Patrick was really expecting that. But the one word that really triggers Patrick is when SpongeBob calls Patrick Tubby. 
Patrick does not like being called Tubby and immediately becomes incredibly sad about this. We get a wide range of emotions from Patrick here that go from extremely sad to then extremely angry about somebody calling him Tubby, like nuclear level angry that he is about to beat up SpongeBob for real over this. Um, and, and SpongeBob reminds him that they were supposed to fake fight to get SpongeBob into the bar kind of calms Patrick down back to earth enough so that we get a, another massive emotion for Patrick and in, in his heart, his, his love of SpongeBob, his friendship with this guy is enough that he's willing to kick his own butt in front of Reg to have SpongeBob not do an ounce of the work. You don't have to lift a finger, buddy. I'll do all this myself. He then proceeds to beat himself up, uh, with nobody else around like Patrick completely convincingly is getting beat up by somebody invisible and the animators do an absolutely fantastic job in this sequence. Every bit that Patrick does to himself is hilarious. Every punch, every whack of an object, seemingly picking him up, slamming him on the ground. Of course, the wedgie and Patrick's butt is an iconic moment in this episode. Of course, then Patrick giving himself the big boot, sending him across the sky far away. Reg at this point is blown away. He has never been this impressed, I imagine, to, of any patron in front of the Salty Spadoon proving their toughness. You beat up that guy without even touching him. He immediately lets SpongeBob into the Salty Spadoon. SpongeBob, of course, has to pronounce his, his extreme happiness at, at him finally achieving this moment. And the second SpongeBob enters the door, we are cutting to an ambulance shot. An ambulance with its lights, its sirens on, its lights going, driving down the street. SpongeBob in the back of this ambulance with Sandy next to him asking what had happened. He got knocked out after he ran inside of the salty spittoon and slipped on an ice cube. He didn't get into a fight. He didn't get into a tussle. No issues. Ran in, immediately slipped on an ice cube, passed out. Ambulance took him away. He couldn't even last in the bar. Uh, they immediately drive to the hospital and, and to just pour salt on this guy's wound. Once the doctor hears that SpongeBob is here because he slipped on an ice cube, he recommends the hospital right next door, uh, Weenie Hut General. And we get the final bit of this episode, which is that there is an entire Weenie Hut medical facility and the, the Weenie Hut branding can be applied to pretty much anything at that point. I mean, if you're selling something beyond hot dog, if you're going from hot dogs and ice cream to then a hospital, I got to imagine everything in between there is on the table for uh, for branding. But that that is no weenies allowed. An absolutely hilarious episode from beginning to end. I love the story arc we have here. I love that in the end, SpongeBob gets his way, but then it gets ripped away from him in the most hilarious fashion possible. It's not like I love seeing SpongeBob uh, like kind of fall down and have the world fall down on top of him. But, you know, sometimes these characters who do have an extreme level of luck, especially when Squidward is involved, sometimes they have to get their, their episodes. They got to take their lashings, too. 
And that is this week's Squarecast. I really appreciate each and every one of you for listening. Uh, thank you so much. If there is any way that you can help see this ship grow by any means, please do so. If you can like the video, share the video, subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. Uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify, sharing the Spotify link of our show to possible other fans is a big help on getting the word out so that we can build a massive crew here. Um, and by the way, there'll never be any sort of monetary entry. I just like having a lot of you here. I want to talk more about SpongeBob with you guys and more Nickelodeon, more Nicktoons, wrestling, if, if there's any fans out there of that, movies and television shows. I want to talk about anything with you guys. Uh, just never forget you're not alone out there in the world. So please stay safe, everyone, and have a wonderful week. We'll see you here next time. What's his name? What's his name? I got nothing on a name. Come on, baby, what's the name? <laughs> <laughs>